Guys, what is going on? It is Dr. Chris Spearman here. Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. This is the one-stop shop for all things coaching. We do not stop at training and nutrition. We go much deeper, and we cover all things personal development. This is a coach through your speakers. That's what I do for a living. That's what I love more than anything in this world. That is my true passion. It is coaching, and what I do with this podcast is just that. I coach you through your headphones, and that's what it's all about. If you are new to this podcast, please do me two huge favors. The first one, hit the subscribe button to make sure you're getting constantly updated with our amazing episodes, dropping three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Also, scroll into the description or the show notes of this episode and check out the top four episodes of this podcast. That's going to be the Nutrition FAQ, the Training FAQ, my personal journey into fitness and coaching, and nutritional periodization. Four episodes that really create a good outline and give you context about what you are going to learn inside of this podcast. Today's episode is with Dr. Chris Spearman, originally from Ireland, headed to London to pursue his PhD in cancer research. So this is a very intelligent guy, um, hence why his podcast is called the Shred with Science Podcast. But he has kind of created his own niche and created a popularity around training people to become cover models. And I shit you not, he takes guys and gals and gets them cover photo shoot lean. That's what he does. He runs a Skype coaching program and he has really grown and elevated himself inside the industry as that coach because he was pursuing his PhD. He loved the science, but then he took all that science and research to help him build confidence and create an aesthetic body and achieve something that he set a goal to do, which he actually believed to be impossible, which you're going to hear him talk about in this episode. But he believed it was impossible, but he used his science background. He started researching, started studying, and he applied it to his passion for training and nutrition. And lo and behold, he accomplished his goal of getting on the cover of a magazine. After that, I believe it, it kind of sounds like it just started a journey for him to try to pursue and help people do that exact same thing and accomplish that exact same thing. So he kind of created his own niche as the cover model coach, if you will. So he's going to talk to us today about how to do that exact thing, how to achieve your best physique, how he runs his coaching program, what he believes that we can apply from the science into our aesthetic goals, and so much more. So I'm excited for you guys to listen to his amazing journey from cancer researcher to a really well-known, world-renowned coach and expert who knows a lot of really big professionals in the industry, who has a lot of good information to share, and really just gives us a lot of good tips that we can take and apply into our own training and nutrition. Guys, if you like this podcast, if you like this episode, if you enjoy listening to me or Chris Spearman talk, please do me a huge favor. Take a screenshot of this episode right now. Head over to Instagram, post it on your story, and tag myself at Cody.BoomBoom and tag Chris Spearman as well. I'm going to put both of our handles in the show notes of this podcast so you can copy and paste them into your Instagram. Um, And then one last quick thing, guys. Make sure you head over to iTunes, search the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, and leave us a five-star rating and review. It means the world to me, and it really helps us grow this podcast. And then I can see exactly who's listening and what they enjoy about the show so I can replicate that and do more of it for you, the listener. All right, guys, without any further ado, let's get on to this amazing episode with the one and only Dr. Chris Spearman. All right, man, Chris, I'm excited for you to be here because because we haven't got to know each other too well yet. Um, We have a mutual friend, and that's how we got connected. But the more I dug into your content, the more I realized uh, we have a lot of similar philosophies and methods, a lot of things I appreciate about your methods. Um, and I noticed that you are affiliated with a lot of people that I either know or I look up to and I, I appreciate their content and their coaching. So I'm excited to dig into your story, man. But for the listeners who do not know who Chris Freeman is, can you give us a brief introduction, man? Who are you in a nutshell? Dude, thank you so much. Firstly, thank you so much for, uh, for inviting me on. And uh, yeah, it, it's always an interesting one. Obviously, we don't know each other as well. And I feel like having a podcast like this, like, oh, wow, you know, like we've already based on the, the brief conversation we've had, there's a lot of, of people obviously within the industry that we that we both look up to or that um, that we both know and, and things like that. So firstly, thank you so much for, for inviting me on. Um, and I'm always stumped when people kind of ask me where I'm at. And the truth is, uh, to me, I'm from, for, for your listeners who, who aren't aware, I grew up in an extremely rural part of Ireland. 
and I came over to London, long story short, I came over to London to do a doctorate and I did my PhD in leukemia, so cancer research. I still see myself as like a small, skinny Irish kid just in the country. So anytime I'm asked like, who am I, what I do, even if I'm going into a US immigration, I'm like, how do I even comprehend what I do or explain? Um, I suppose to, to cut it short, uh, I moved to London to to do my PhD. I've always been quite active. I played um, rugby at a pretty high level in university, got a scholarship. Uh, so I was always quite active, but I was always like the skinny kid on the team, like always the smallest kid. And I always probably for that reason had a bit of a chip on my shoulder and really wanting to kind of build muscle and et cetera. So I moved to London, uh, started studying, doing my doctorate, working in the hospital, crazy hours, didn't really know anyone. And at that point, I'd given up playing rugby to pursue my doctorate. And I just wanted to do something active. So I reached out to the only person I really knew in London. And he said, dude, you need to come to this gym. It's awesome. And long story short, I, I started training in this gym that was predominantly bodybuilding slash kind of fitness model orientated and uh, booked my first shoot decided six months later that listen you know if these people can get lean i can get lean being a bit kind of egotistical and uh i cut did a shoot and i think everything kind of just exploded from there for me really um you know it went from there to various kind of magazine covers etc etc but um chill uh trying to balance my PhD and the budding fitness career at the time was probably the biggest struggle to be truthful. So are you, are you currently um, still in that medical position, that medical field? No, dude. So, so basically I moved to London. Um, you know, my growing up, we didn't have a penny. My mom didn't have a penny. We had no financial support, no financial backing. I moved to, I, I told my mom I wanted to pursue a PhD. And of course, I was lucky enough that I worked my way through university, um, including my undergrad, my master's, which was in, in breast cancer research, um, and then my, my PhD in leukemia. I was almost 10 years in, in, in university or third level education. So for me, even kind of going down that route was a massive, a massive financial um, obstacle. And I said, you know, I said to my mom, like, you know, regardless of what happens financially, if I can come out of all of this with a doctor in front of my name and even, you know, a, a pound or, or a dollar in, in my back pocket, that would be a success. And I suppose getting into fitness, I, I, you know, when I started kind of helping people, it was completely transparently. It was a way that I could, you know, I could help people, serve people and, and educate people, but also, you know, it could, it could help fund my tuition and, and, and help me sustain, you know, my dream, which was becoming a doctor in, in that field. And um, fast forward, I suppose, kind of three, four years later, I was thankfully in a situation where my fitness business was a massive success, you know, multiple six figures on, on course for, for seven figures and had finished my, just finished my doctorate. And I was, I suppose I was at a crossroads and I suppose it was, okay, what route am I going to go down? Uh, for me, I got into this field science wise because while I was doing my doctorate or my, my undergraduate, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. And, you know, me and my mom have an extremely close relationship and it was my way. I'd always been science minded. It was my way. I don't want to do my master's in breast cancer. And that for me was a, a, my way of kind of dealing with the terms of her diagnosis, um, you know, wanting to better myself and make a difference in the world. And obviously then I moved over to London wanted to do a doctorate in something that was cancer related, oncology related, but a different form of cancer. And being completely truthful, the feeling that I was getting then from helping people change their lives through fitness was very similar to the feeling that I got from feeling like I was making a difference, making a difference in the medical field. Um, granted, you know, obviously there were, you know, on different ends of, of I, I suppose, severity in, in, some, in some aspects. Um, but it then became, you know, a, a kind of my way of giving back and, you know, sometimes I, I think, will I ever go back into the medical field? 
but I think, you know, I'll, I'll always have that PhD. I'll always have that doctorate. I'll always be able to go back into the medical field at some point, at some stage. Um, being truthful, I feel like I can serve more people this way. Granted, their, you know, their issues are slightly different, maybe not as severe, but I can definitely reach more people now. Um, and I've, I've got, obviously got a lot more financial freedom. Um, you know, financial freedom, I think for me is really important. I live a very frugal life. I don't, any money that I, the business makes gets reinvested. But for me, it was the, I suppose the ability to work for myself on my terms, um, you know, and, and have a little bit more freedom. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at now. And that was, I suppose, uh, maybe a year and a half ago, I, I, I made that decision. I was at that crossroads. That's amazing, man. It's, it's one thing I have to commend you for and get the, cause there's a lot of coaches that listen to this too, is when you related the idea of what your mother was going through your schooling and why you were doing that and how you related to what you could do in the fitness community, like there's so much purpose and drive behind that, that I think you're going to be able to excel at a fast rate because you have that why. And I think a lot of people struggle to find their why. And like, that's just a good example as to why it's so important um, to find your why, but, uh, having that purpose is awesome, man. And I can absolutely relate to the lifestyle because obviously we do the exact same thing for a living. So I can completely relate how, because I was actually browsing through some of your content and you said that you were 29 years old, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know that. Um, and for one, I I didn't know that necessarily too, because you have a very impressive physique. So obviously that takes time to build. Mm -hmm. Uh, but also you have a huge following, you're well-established, you have a PhD, like I'm sure the listeners are kind of like, holy shit, this guy's going a million miles an hour to get there by 29. Um, I'm 26, so I can relate because I've done quite a bit at a young age and I've always been kind of like hustle mindset. But um, my question for you, man, is is how did that growth happen so fast inside of fitness? Um, I mean, let alone right. building a business inside of fitness and reaching. I mean, you have a huge following. You have a successful business. You're working with people like Ben Pakulski and stuff like that that I'll get to here in a sec. But also like getting on covers, like getting on magazine covers, like that's a huge goal. So like, how did all this happen in such a short period of time? Absolutely. So uh, I, I suppose for me, obviously moving to London really accelerated things for me. And I think, um, you know, for me moving over here, I didn't know anyone. All I knew was, you know, that I was going to be in the lab or the hospital collecting blood samples and analyzing blood samples without going into too much detail. Um, the, my, my PhD was specifically looking at a type of leukemia, um, that affects generally elderly people, specific genes that uh, are upregulated in a, in, in a subsection of these people. In other words, trying to figure out what the link is between this gene and trying to figure out if they're going to develop some form of cancer, um, or why they develop cancer in the first place as number one, potentially a therapeutic um, uh, that we could find a therapeutic for that. And number two, that it could be a biomarker. So we could take blood samples from, from people and, and tell them well in advance that they could get cancer in the future. Now, the reason that's important is because in London, you know, in the States, it's obviously different, but in London, you spend so much time, or I did between lab and from, for example, from the hospital where I collect blood samples to the lab that I analyzed was, was probably between an hour and two hours each way on trains. So for me, when I got into the fitness space or started go, you know, going down that route, I had a huge amount of time between commuting where I was able to stay on top of things. Um, the one thing you asked, I suppose, how did everything grow so quickly was predominantly because I, I, I was forced to scale. I had such little time that I was forced to scale my business from an early age, which meant that then when I finished my PhD, I had everything already set up in place that I, I, I that not, not that, you know, finance is a thing, but in terms of serving more people, the business was, you know, turning over six figures and I was only working one day a week at that because I had scaled my business so that I was doing my PhD all of the other days. So that's how it really exploded at that point. But coming back, I suppose, to I suppose, how everything kind of fell into place initially, the two biggest dreams that I ever had in life was to get on the cover of a magazine. But I'm not even going to say dreams because I never even thought that that would happen. It was like even beyond a dream. Get on the cover of a magazine, which I never thought would happen. And two is getting a doctorate in something that I'm really passionate in. And my mentality was if I try bloody hard at both of these, 
God knows one of them is going to come true. Right. Um, and I think putting equal, I suppose, effort into both. And some people will look at that and go, well, dude, how on earth did you manage to do both those things? And I would say, truthfully, it's probably easier to do both than to have done one by itself. And you'll understand what I mean by that. But the focus for those out there, the fact that I had an escape from fitness in the hospital and also had an escape from the hospital or, you know, I was collecting blood samples every Thursday morning from patients who had less than a week to live. And I knew they had less than a week to live. If you, I, I, I don't care who you are, if, if that doesn't spark some form of, we only have one life, I don't know what will. Absolutely, man. I can't even imagine. And I think, I think having, I've actually never, I, when you said that you can probably relate, I actually almost said, I don't know if I can, but as you kind of explained the escape from each, I can absolutely relate. And it makes a good point. And something I talk a lot about is uh, inside of like just personal development, there's, I call them the four pillars of power. And we kind of have like our body and that's like our physical fitness and health. And then we have our mindset, spirituality, emotional well-being. We have our relationships and then we have our business and finances. Those are kind of like the four things that we're constantly striving to excel in. But if you only focus on one, the others kind of go to shit. And as those go to shit, the other thing will fall down with it. Those pillars hold up your building, so to speak. Um, and it's kind of like what you're saying, man. You had multiple things to focus on so you could can kind of crutch on each one to grow all of them, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, you know, if, if you really want to succeed, and do, like I, my whole fitness journey really started in 2011 when I kind of gave up rugby for the first time. When I say fitness, I mean the gym. And I went, I, I took one way, uh, one way ticket to, to, to San Diego and I flew out there. didn't know anyone. I just broken up with my girlfriend. Um, my head was in a really bad place. And at that point in time, I started training in a goals gym and sports boulevard, San Diego. And I identified that, wow, this is what I want to do. And I never thought that it would come true. But if I could go back and this is something that I would say to anyone out there, if I could go back now and I had the self-belief that I actually didn't have because I never thought that these things would happen. I've, I, firstly, I would have achieved everything that I've achieved sooner and I wouldn't even dare to dream where I'd be now. So, you know, what I would say to anyone out there in this situation is if you're listening, you know, to myself and Cody right now saying, oh yeah, you know, these guys have achieved so much. Like I, I, there's absolutely nothing about me that no one else here listening can't achieve. Mm. And, and I really mean that. People say, oh yeah, but you've got a PhD and you've been on the cover of magazines. Anyone can get on the cover of a magazine. Anyone could do a PhD. I really, really believe that. Um, you know, if you look at people on the cover of magazines, let's say some of the magazines I've been on, you don't need to have a huge amount of muscle tissue. I guarantee you most people listening to this probably have, you know, could potentially have, have more muscle tissue than I have. Um, there's definitely people listening to this leaner than I have, or leaner than I was. You know, so it, it's about being persistent, being cute, being smart, being in the right place at the right time. And in terms of my doctorate, of course, I was extremely passionate. The reason I, I ended up going the distance was not because I was smarter than everyone else, is because I wanted to have that accolade to my name more than most. Um, and, and I wasn't going to stop until as I realized it was possible, I was like a dog with a bone. I wasn't going to give it up. So my advice out there is if you're listening to this and you're feeling even slightly inspired by, by anything or, or any of your guests is think to yourself, like, why can't I do any of this? And, and th there is no reason. There is no reason. It's just you. That's, that, that's it, right? I love that, dude. That's the, like, uh, I call it the why not mentality. And anybody listening to, I like, I really recommend you go listen to a Joe Rogan podcast with Kevin Hart. I've said this before. I don't, I don't know if you've heard of it, but I went into it like, I'm going to take some free time and I'm going to laugh because Kevin Hart's on it. And it was a very serious podcast. And he basically said the same thing you just said over and over and over again. Joe Rogan's like, why are you doing these huge uh, comedy shows and movies? And you have a real estate company, you have a financial advisory company, you have a supplement company. He's just like, why not? Like anybody can do so much things if they just ask themselves why not and they just believe and they pursue it, man. So I, I love the way that you, you frame that and it gives so many people hope listening to this. Um, I want to shift back towards kind of the whole fitness aspect of things. I want to really dive into what you do, how you do it, and, and why you do it so well. But the first question is, what was the ideology behind the coaching program you run? It's a very specific program. It's the Skype model program. Like you 
are very, very specific about what it is called. And I haven't, there's not that many people that call their programs uh, specifically model programs, like getting you ready for to be a fitness model. Um, and I want to just kind of to pick your brain about what that is like and what clients go through when they experience it and what the model is. Right. Absolutely. So you mentioned that there are probably, you know, other personal trainers or, or aspiring online coaches listen to this. And, you know, what I would say to you firstly, um, you know, with se- separate from, you know, my, my business, um, my fitness business, um, I also help, uh, or, uh, I suppose in, in, in a sense structure and help other personal trainers or aspiring online coaches within a mastermind to grow their business just like I did. Yep. And one thing that I would say to those, um, those people out there who are trying to get into the fitness space or, you know, they want to maybe they're PTs and they want to go online. One of the things that I would say in terms of, you know, setting up a program is just like when I set up mine is we all start off going, Oh, I can get you lean. I can help you put on muscle. I can get you toned. I can help guys. I can help women. I can help young people. I can help old people. And that's great to build experience. But I feel like as you progress and you really want to be niche, you, you need to figure out what your skill set is and how you can differentiate yourself from everybody else. Now, for me, I was able to say, okay, what two things or, or what things can I help people that nobody else can? Okay, well, through science as, as a doctorate and a, 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 a basically, you know, a, a cover model, even though I feel awkward saying it, I can help people do that. I can help people get on the cover of a magazine through science or through applying science. Um, so I, after maybe a year or two, I kind of really delved into like, what can I offer? And it was only then, I wish I could go back to the start in some ways because my demographic changed. You know, when I first started, I was helping people in my local gym get ready for bodybuilding shows. Um, uh, then I moved and I was helping people who maybe had cancer in the past and they were in remission, you know, get, get back in shape because they resonated with, you know, my, my science and, you know, my, my oncology aspect of things. So my niche changed or developed over time until I kind of got to a point where I was like, what can I do better than anyone else on the planet? And this is a serious question. If you're listening to this right now, I want you to ask yourself this question. What can you do better than anyone else you have ever met? Until you can answer that question, not that you're going to be stuck, but I guarantee you if you dig deep enough, every single person should be able to answer that question. And if you can't, my advice would be whatever it is, if you want to find clarity and, ha- and, and joy in, in what you do, find something that you can do better than anyone else. If that is, you know, you're, you're, you paint pigs in Michigan better than anyone else, then, then do it. Yeah. Like if you can find out what can, and, and, and this was a mentor of mine and he, he wrote a book called Scale. His name's Frank Bria. And when I was going through my business, I, and this comes back to the Skype aspect of things, I was forced to scale. I was able to grow my business to six figures working one day a week. And how I did that was I was offering something that no one else was offering. And it was a Skype program that obviously I, I, I charge more for and then help them get in cover model shape through that. So I was able to charge more and work with a, a smaller number of clients in order to scale. And obviously he helped me do that. But one of the questions he asked me was, Chris, what can you do better than anyone else you have ever met? And he said, once you can answer that question, go after it. Um, you know, and that comes back to, to, to your question, really. I was like, what can I do better than anyone else? And, you know, through science, I would like to think I can help more than most, if not anyone I've met within the fitness space get people on the cover of magazines, which, you know, even though I've been on the cover of a few myself, I've also got some of my clients at least in shape and on the cover of some book covers and magazine covers as well. So, you know, if if you're out there and you're unsure, ask yourself that question. What can you do better than anyone else? And that's something that I say to a lot of my mastermind clients who want to run a business or, or be successful online is what can you do better than anyone else? You might not know now, but I want you to ask yourself that question every single day. I absolutely love that. And I agree. And I think if there are people listening, um, we have a lot of coaches, like I said before, and, and I actually run a similar program and it's, it, and I kind of echo what you're saying. So I love that you're saying this, man, it's, it's repeating and 
giving affirmation to what I've been preaching as well. And if you don't know what that is yet, maybe just obviously be patient, but search for it because there's probably something that you might not do better than everybody else right now, but you absolutely have the potential to. And if you know what that is, you have to seek that out. Um, I call it your superpower. Like I always say, like find your superpower. Once you know what your superpower is, you have to do that 10 times more because that's, what's going to lead to growth. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, cool, man. I love that part. As, as you started developing this, um, you started from looking at your content, you're very specific about your training in a sense, like there's this kind of, and, and I really want to get into a cool discussion with you on this. And I think this, I don't know if you started shifting things once you met BPAC or if this is why you guys are friends, because he's very big on like mind muscle connection intent, like your effort, your, your connection to the, the body part that you're using, things like that. And then there's this other camp of people that are very volume and frequency and intensity driven. But you, mm-hmm. I, I want to know where you stand in that and, and what your methods are for building muscle essentially. Like you have a specific style of training and you have a, an impressive physique and you obviously get people ready for photo shoots and stuff like that and, and covers. So what is your method? What are your philosophies and how do you approach building muscle to get people in this shape? Can I be completely honest? 100%. I feel like I've not even started. And, and the reason <laughs> is I've, I've been working with Ben now for, for let's just say the last six to nine months. And I feel like, and, and he, he flew over here to give a, his muscle camp. Um, and it, it, guys, if you haven't, this is a, a shameless plug, but if you haven't, this, that weekend camp will change your life. I don't care how long you've been in the fitness space. I guarantee you every single person out there will learn, it will just be absolutely mind blown. Um, and I feel like literally it's just like a brain dump. Everything that I ever thought previous to that point was just poof, gone, just disappeared, just completely debunked. And, you know, for those, without going into the details, really, what, I, what I've learned in the last few months by itself is will change my physique like i guarantee you and this is i've never i've just told you of of undersold undervalued like never gave myself any kind of you're gonna do this ever but i tell you now like look at my physique a year from now and th- this isn't because of me it's because of what i have learned in the last few months thanks to people like ben um and you know in terms of where that where that is on an anatomical point of view and a physiological point of view what they really try and break down just to simplify it is like, you know, if you're doing a side lat raise or, or a frontal raise or whatever it is, and someone goes, Oh, what's a side lat raise do? Oh, medial delt. Does it like, does it really like, where's your origin? Where's your insertion? And are you, you know, enabling your, um, you know, the shortest point of, of, of contact or bringing your origin closer to the insertion when you actually do a side lat raise or because, you know, for example, Cody's insertion, you know, on his, on his medial deltoid is going to be different to mine. So me doing a, a side lat raise at a specific angle is going to be different to yours in order for both of us to have optimal contraction in our medial deltoid. Now, so, so for example, that completely, you know, throws out the window. If you look at, you know, your, your, your favorite Instagram um, fitness uh, guru or bodybuilder doing an exercise a specific way, yeah, that's great because their you know their t- their muscle tie-in is is slightly different to yours. Their insertion is at a different point to yours. So all of those things, that's great. But what what you really need to do is assess your own anatomy. And I know that sounds so simple when you say that. And me as a scientist, I felt like I was almost like just missed the trick. And yeah, so you know, coming back to you know, my muscle connection, it, it, it's more being able to execute the exercise efficiently and effectively. So for those out there, if, if you want to focus on building muscle, we all know progressive overload is important, right? Of course it is. But before you can, you know, obviously increase load, um, you know, increase the, you know, the time under tension or increase the volume or drop the rest time before you do all of those things, you need to ensure that every single rep is the same every single rep is standardized because if it is not, how can you quantify that? You have to ensure that they're almost identical before you can quantify. So if you're doing like 15 side lat raises and they're all like slightly different or you're dropping off, you're fatiguing, then you need to ensure that they're as standardized as possible before you can turn around and actually progressing here. Um, And one of the, I, I suppose for in the most simplest terms, 
the skill of doing an exercise is the most fundamental thing. You know, if you're doing a bicep curl and, you know, your shoulder is moving and you expect there, it's like a rope, you know, it's like a rope with two ends moving. How can you find tension or optimal tension in a rope if both ends are moving? You need to anchor one, your origin or your insertion, either or, um, and obviously bring one closer to the other. Um, and the second point really, I suppose, is looking at, in terms of muscles, we all think anatomically, when you ask someone, what does a muscle do? What does any muscle do? The muscle only does one thing. It contracts and it relaxes. It contracts and it relaxes. A muscle cannot do anything else in terms of movement other than contract in the direction of, of fiber and relax in, in the opposite direction. That being the case, knowing the bare bones of anatomy and aligning your movement with the contraction of the fibers will allow you to have a more optimal contraction and allow you to bring the origin closer to the insertion without even doing those simple tasks, putting on weight or doing all of these things is pointless in a way. You see loads of people like throwing loads of weight around. They're building muscle by accident. You see a lot of people in, you know, in the fitness space, performance enhancing and lifting a specific way. They're building muscle on, like, by accident, essentially, because they're not doing it optimally. And I'm not saying everyone needs to be perfect, but I think the one thing that us as guys really need to check ourselves is drop the ego. Drop your ego. And I think I've been massively humbled in the sense that I don't even look at the weight that I lift until I know I can execute the exercise efficiently and effectively. And that's something Ben told me. Um, the, the, probably the best tip I can give anyone out there who wants to build muscle that way is think of a circle. Now look, pretend there's a circle in front of you. Put, like, put your hands together in a circle and think of a scatter plot. And what I want you to imagine is some dots are inside the circle and some dots are outside the circle. Every dot inside that circle is an exercise that you can execute well enough that you feel you can increase the weight, increase the volume, and progress. Any exercise that is not in that circle, we would deem as you are unable to execute the exercise well enough to progress. Now, there are, you need then to make a decision. Those exercises that are outside of your circle of progression they're either one of two things. They're either a, an exercise that you can work on to improve the skill of that exercise so it will become inside your circle of progression. And then once you build up that skill, you can then progress. Or no matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, no matter what machine you get, no matter just the way you are built, your biomechanics versus whatever machine, you will probably never get that exercise within your, your, your skill set in order to progress. And that's something that a lot of people don't identify with that just because, you know, let's say for example, you know, in the simplest terms, if you do an exercise and you just don't feel it, there's a few things going on there. You're probably not contracting the right way. You've got two options. You either adjust, try and figure out a way that you can actually contract that muscle or feel it in that plane or you identify that maybe that machine and your biomechanics will never fit. That's not you failing. That's you being smart and identifying that you're actually wasting your time. And the probability of you being able to execute this exercise to effectively hit your chest is never going to happen. And that's not a failure. That's identifying that it's just not a good fit. It's like any relationship. Some people just work, some people don't. And it, sometimes it's nobody's fault. It's just not a right fit. Um, so if that's something as a trainer, I feel like I've identified, like, why would I put this exercise on someone's plan and tell them over and over again to continue and repeat it until they get it right? Because they may never, it might be their biomechanics. It might be the machine at their gym. It just never works. I love it, dude. There's a, there's a few things, uh, that I want to pick apart at that. Cause there was so much value inside of it. One of the things I will point out is that, like you said at the beginning, progressive overload is key, but I think like progressive overload is, is, and I'd love to get your thought or statement on this. Progressive overload is not really a thing if you're not executing properly, because if you're progressively overloading something, uh, an exercise to quote unquote build muscle, yet you're not executing it to the muscles that are actually like you're aiming to grow, 
what are you doing right there, right? You're progressively overloading dysfunction. Um, so you're not achieving anything by it. So I think like you said, drop the ego. I think it's important for people to do that because the progressive overload is not getting you the result you think it is unless you're executing properly. So taking a step back and doing that again um, is such a valuable thing. I haven't been to one of his camps, but I recently had knee surgery and I couldn't train for uh, my legs for three months. I could only do like sit like any upper body while I'm seated. It was pretty rough. But it taught me a completely different perspective as I'm getting back into training to do this exact thing because I can't overload my body yet that heavy. So learning intent has been huge for me. Um, the- Just on that point, and, and, and I completely agree, but I'm going to throw a spanner in the works there. Now, for those of you guys listening and you're thinking about progressive overload, um, completely agree. You need to ensure that your exercise execution is on point or that you're, you know, that you're, you're able to execute. But what people don't realize or, or even think you improving your skill is a progressive is progressive overload in the first place. Great and point. Put that into perspective, right? If you're doing a bicep curl, but you're swinging your shoulder, and let's just say you drop the weight, right? Let's just say you drop the weight and you focus really slowly on contracting um, and obviously, you know, elbow flexion, right? If you, over the space of the next three weeks, you keep the weight the same, the tempo the same, the resistance um, or the the time on, uh, the the time under tension the same, the the volume the same, the rest times the same. What if you progressed your ability to contract that muscle better? That's progressive overload in itself. Now, once you're able to do that to almost full capacity, then you will focus on another form of progression. So, what I've actually done is is said, okay. I can execute this exercise like 70% as well as I think I can, then, okay, well, I'm going to try and execute this exercise 5% better the next time. And, and that's a form of progressive overload by itself. Love it. Yeah, I think progressive overload, if you really strip it to its bare bones, it's just improvement, right? It's, it's progressively getting better at making something difficult or getting better at a difficult task. So I love that you added that point. And as you were talking, like one thing that came to mind is, I think a lot of people have problems with, uh, like you mentioned, basically, like, why would I continue to give an exercise to a client when they are not getting what we need out of it um, and assume that they're going to get it because biomechanics matter. My question for you is, is what is your philosophy or your strategy with exercise selection? Because I see a lot of people who just change exercises because they're bored when they haven't mastered the, uh, an exercise and maybe like only two variations of all the uh, chest fly variations actually work for you. You shouldn't be changing them all up just because quote unquote. Um, But I want to get your take on that. Like, are you a bigger fan of keeping exercise for longer and just sticking to that intent? Do you change variation pretty frequently? Like, what does that look like for you? I'm I'm really blunt. I'll ask the question. And I think as a coach, it's really important to be honest, transparent, and blunt. And I will say, I'll say, you know, John, Nora, Jim, I'll be like, dude, I've, I've, we've got two options here and, and I'm, I'm going to ask you and be honest. Do you want me to change the exercise for the sake of changing the exercise or do you want me to keep it the same and you progress? And then before they answer, I'll say, what's less boring progressing or me changing the exercise for the sake of it? And if they say, I want you to change the exercise anyway, I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> but, but, but I've identified why that's the case. And sometimes, for example, as online coaches, we feel almost obliged to make changes and i'll be honest and i'll say we really you're you're absolutely killing it right now we do not need to change your nutrition this week do you want me to change it even though it doesn't need to be changed for whatever reason and 99 times out of 100 i don't know about you but there's nothing more exciting than progression and at the end of the day that's why they've come to us yeah um that being said though i I understand for example if someone says i'm really sick of this exercise or if they feel, let's just say they've reached some form of plateau whereby, you know, they've stacked the machine or, you know, the, the, the next jump in dumbbells is a little bit higher for them to execute the exercise. Then I would say, okay, then we, we might make changes. But I would be, especially for my own training, I feel like, uh, and this is, there's kind of a contradiction here and I'll explain why. One is I feel until you have completely progressed or mastered an exercise, I don't feel like there's the need to change. Now, the contradiction is there are probably so many people in there who are doing, I, I guarantee you, if you've never had a coach, you're going into the gym, you've been training for a few years, and you're a bit 
frustrated, you look kind of the same as you have for the last two or three years, it's probably because you're doing the exact same exercises for a chest, the exact same exercises for adults, the exact same exercise for back. And the question I would say is, well, they're clearly not working for you or you're not able to execute them efficiently and effectively. Um, so, so there must, there must be some dysfunction, there must be something going on. Um, so I think some people need to change until they find something that works and then until it stops working uh, and you're honest and really honest with yourself to say, I've nailed this, then you change. Yeah, I'm, I'm a hundred percent on board. And I think the problem with a lot of, um, speaking to nutrition specifically, there's a lot of coaches that I've talked to that almost feel like part of their role or their duty is to make some kind of adjustment during an update. And my thing is always like, if you don't have to make an adjustment this week, it means that what they are doing is working. Like we're winning. Like why adjust if you don't have to? 100%. Especially if someone's cutting as well, right? It's cool. If someone's cutting and you go, oh, well, I'm going to like drop food for the sake of dropping food. Well, if they're already losing weight, like my philosophy in terms of nutrition is when you're in a cut, at least I want my clients eating the most amount of food possible and doing the least amount of activity possible yes. and still lose weight. Yeah. And, and I think, unfortunately, that gets miscommunicated. And I think my goal is to educate my clients. Yes, get them in cover model shape, but to educate them along the way. And I feel also their well-being, their health, and their ability to keep their metabolism in, in, decent, in, in a decent place so that they're not starving themselves. I feel like uh, this is a really cheesy saying, but I say it to every single one of my clients. And if you ask any of my clients, is this true? They would say yes. My, my goal is that my client feels like I have joined their program rather than that they have joined mine. And I think that that's so important. I love that, dude. It's, it's, <laughs> you're literally preaching to the choir. Everything you just said, I, I echo and I use inside of my coaching philosophy and business too. So I completely agree. And I'm glad I love getting people on the podcast, especially when I don't know the ins and outs of their coaching um, that agree with me because it, it sheds light on how coaching should be. And it should be really, it should be a relationship based on educating a client to not only get to the result. Yes, but to also teach them what, why, and how along the way. And I absolutely love when I get other individuals on the podcast that agree with that and that preach that same message, because it shows me that as an industry, as a whole, we actually are changing things and we're moving in the right direction, man. So I appreciate you saying those things. Um, time is flying by and I have more questions that I want to dig into you though. I could probably do this for hours. Um, so we talked about BPAC. We talked about your experience there. We talked about the philosophy behind um, not necessarily mind and muscle connection, but intent and effort. And I think those things are so important. Um, when it comes to program design and training splits, where do you sit? And I say that because, I mean, there's a million ways to skin a cat in both uh, – not only how you set up a daily program, but a weekly program as a split, but everybody kind of falls into their own category. And I think obviously adherence is probably one of the biggest keys to making sure somebody can actually stick to it. But I want to get your take on like what you have found to be the best principles in a perfect scenario. Um, adherence not being a problem for training splits and designing a workout. Yeah, so absolutely. So I suppose the majority of people that I'm working with at the minute, um, are, like I said, they want to get in cover model shape. Generally speaking, they're, we, do have, we do have a lot of females um, within the business, but in terms of the, the cover model aspect of things, it's more men than female. Um, and one of the biggest things that I hear from, from clients is they say, okay, I want to get like completely shredded. I want to be cover modeling, but I don't want to lose too much muscle. And immediately I'm like, hold on. I'm like, have you ever been lean? And they're like, mm, not really. And I'm like, you will, you do not know how much muscle you actually have until you get lean. And I know you, you'll completely relate with, with your clients. And one of the things that I say is it, when you, when people say, I, I feel like I'm losing muscle. No, you're not. What you're losing is glycogen and water and body fat. And, and for that reason, you feel depleted and a little bit smaller, but also without being, without being completely blunt. And I can say this because I've been there. The truth is you actually just didn't have as much muscle as you thought you did. Uh, so, so our goal in that, in that whole process is to try and hold on to as much muscle as possible during this cutting phase. Um, and in doing so, obviously completely depends on the individual and it completely depends on their, um, their schedule. Obviously a lot of our 
our clients who want to get in cover model shape are PTs, aspiring online coaches who want to get in shape in order to promote their business. Uh, we do have quite a lot of executives and professionals who want to do the same thing, but let's just say for the PTs or aspiring online coaches who want to get in shape or people who even want to go down that route, I want to use this as a business card for potentially growing a business or moving into the fitness space. They have generally the ability to train, you know, if and when they like working in a gym. So what we would probably do with every single individual is work with their schedule um, first and foremost. And like I said, and I know it's cliche, we try and you know, accommodate their lifestyle rather than the other way around. So generally the training or program design is based on that. I suppose my principles up, up until recently would have been probably a higher frequency of training, generally speaking. I like personally, but also I find um, provided the clients have the availability to do so, is we would train more frequently. So even if they were training once a day and it was say push, pull, legs, push, pull, legs, day off, their frequency of training a body part increases. Now, my rationale behind that program design or even sometimes training twice a day is purely because, let's just say hypothetically, let's just talk about the twice a day scenario. Um, and we can touch on, on, on you know, why you think about this afterwards, but I'll explain my rationale behind it. It is not at all about anything other than this. If someone is able to, it, let's just say they work in a gym, aspiring online culture, they have ability to go to the gym and they're able to train twice a day. Let's say resistance training to some degree. If they're able to train twice a day, clearly they're going to be burning more calories than if they're training once a day, taking into consideration that everything else is the same or the steps outside of the gym is the same. Now, let's just say hypothetically that their second session, they burn 750 calories. That puts them in a 750 calorie deficit than they would have had previously. Correct. Right. Now, what if we give, we, we give them that second session, they're 750 calories in more of a deficit than they would have been, but I just increase their carbohydrates by 500 calories, let's say 400 calories, give them an extra 100 grams of carbs post-workout where they can recover. And like we said, the biggest issue with, with clients cutting is they don't want to feel depleted or loose. So what if you train twice a day and we integrated some intra-workout carbohydrates or some fast-acting post-workout carbohydrates to refuel your glycogen stores and help you feel that little bit fuller during a cut? Now, obviously not everyone's able to do that, but if you are, number one, you're in more of a deficit than you were. Two, you're recovering better because you've got more carbohydrates in and around your workout perimeter. And number three, you're looking forward to those post-workout carbs, which for me are generally more probably simple carbohydrates and generally things that you would enjoy eating. Yeah. Um, so, so for me, that works really, really well. Obviously, it depends on the relationship that the client has with food or training or their ability to train. Um, but for me personally, that worked really well. So that's a discussion that I would have even when I was sleeping four and a half hours a night, I would still prefer if I left the hospital really, really late, I would still prefer train before I went home to de-stress. I would train, I would de-stress, I would get extra post-workout carbs in, insulin spike, and then it would drop off and I'd sleep like a baby. So yes, it is very individualized based on the client. But I suppose my rationale behind program design would be a higher frequency, therefore higher carb, um, you know, better recovery to some degree, and they're probably in more of a deficit than they would have been before. Plus, most people, if they want to get to that that you know level of condition, or generally speaking, they you know want to look like you know cover the cover of a magazine. Generally, they have a pretty good relationship with training, and they love or enjoy the gym especially if they get more carbs in and around the gym. Um, so, you know, it's not people who you'll say they're on a transformation and they want to lose some weight and they don't really like the gym or they don't feel comfortable in the gym. Right. These are people who are preparing for a photo shoot. They're buzzing. They want to be in there. They want to be pumped. And, you know, it, it, to me, generally speaking, that would probably be where maybe 80 to 85% of our clients would fit in terms of program design. I think one thing I would add into there too is like if – if you're doing two sessions and it's allowing you to have more carbohydrates, I would, even if like technically each, like, let's say both your sessions are a little bit shorter than a normal one session per day would be. I would 
your total volume would probably be higher because you'd probably be able to split that energy up to two parts of the day, have better intent, possibly lift more weight during those sessions since you have less exercises and less total work to do in that session and the extra carbs. So total volume by the end of the month would probably be higher. Muscle growth would probably be better. And in the case of a cut, muscle maintenance would probably be better. No. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, I, I don't know what your demographic is like, but completely transparently, I suppose, you know, enhanced athletes are obviously going to have a, a higher, I suppose, ability to recover. Totally. So if and when, obviously, you know, me with my background, obviously, I would be uh, very much transparently in, in a situation where it, this would be, I would never, ever suggest that anyone go down this route. However, transparently and, and we all, we're all very aware that people will often be taking x y and z and i would say listen like this is crazy you do not need to be taking 90 percent of this this is madness get your nutrition right your training right um, and take a very small percentage of what you're doing do it correctly be optimal obviously enhanced athletes in that situation are going to have a higher probability or higher you know ability to to recover um compared to someone who, you know, a highly stressed individual who, you know, isn't enhanced and um, barely has enough time to train once. Those things need to be taken into consideration as well. Um, and obviously, you know, it's completely person dependent. Um, but I completely agree. And also, I think for me, especially when I was going through, you know, when I was, I was in the hospital and, and, and trying to train at the same time, it was more of a de-stress, to be honest. It's a massive de-stressor for me. And I would say I have a really, people say they have a poor relationship with food. I have a poor relationship with exercise. And what I mean by that is I need, I crave it. Like I crave it like candy. Like I need to go to the gym, especially if I've got a stressful day. It's almost 11 p.m. here. Um, you know, we, we probably won't be finished. Uh, I know we're going to record for my podcast after this. So it'll be midnight by the time I'm finished. I'll be going straight to the gym because I've had a busy day. So for me, that's it. my ability to train and to get a second session in. Not saying it's for everyone, but I will get post-workout carbs in. Yeah, okay, I might only get like four or five hours sleep tonight, but I'll sleep well and I'll feel refreshed. Um, so that's something that I would generally suggest if it's possible for clients. Yeah. So let's let's kind of cap off the fitness and nutrition talk with almost like setting up a client for a photo shoot prep. Let's say you have somebody for like six months. So you have plenty of time to get them ready. They already have a background in this stuff. So it's really more of a, let's get you from, you know, 13% body fat as a male to 8%. Like let's get you shredded and get you in front of this camera. Um, assuming a person is lifting once a day, let's say, cause I would say the majority of my literature probably would be doing that. Um, however, I do agree with everything you said on the two a day and I actually have a couple friends that do similar things. And I think it works great if you can manage it on your time. How are you setting somebody up with their training split? Are you following a more high carb approach? Um, it sounds like you're a big fan of carbs as I, as am I. And I think getting shredded, I think you should probably follow or at least have carbs in your diet. Um, but I want to hear your opinion on what you would do. Cause there's a, yeah. again, a million ways it's going to cat. So you have somebody, a male for six months getting ready for a shoot, what are you doing with training, cardio, nutrition, supplements? So, so this is going to blow your mind a little. So I'm actually not a – don't get me wrong. I like carbs. I love carbs. Um, and being, being honest, I, was, I got very lean when I was uh, you know, in the hospital by default. And the reason was is for me is I work exceptionally well, obviously, being in, being in the hospital, analyzing blood at a microscopic level – I needed my focus to be so sharp. So I actually used to intermittent fast, not because, you know, for it to get lean, because I felt that my mental clarity was so good fasted. And even if I did break my fast, it would be a coffee, maybe some fats and protein. And it would literally just be not enough to get an insulin spike, but just to keep my mental, my mental clarity on point. As you can imagine, when you're analyzing blood for hours and hours a day at a, micro, at a DNA level, it is really important to be on point. Mm -hmm. Even now, if I've got a lot of meetings, I will stay very low carb. So by default, I would then backload my carbs. Now, that was just purely because of, of my mental clarity needing to be where it was. So by default, for me, that was kind of the route I went down. And I actually realized that 
you know, focusing carbs in and around the workout for me was, was, was incredible. That being said, I'll obviously, you know, have a discussion with a client. If someone comes to me, if they're working for, with me personally, you know, I only take a small number of clients right now. And if, like yourself, I've got a team of coaches who do the vast majority of coaching. If someone wants to work with me, it's a minimum of six months because I feel it takes enough. You need that time to get to know a client. Yeah. And so we'll start off, obviously, seeing where they're at slowly move towards a massive on cognitive and brain function clearly you know with 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 my background so i will try as best i possibly can before i even go anywhere near you know performance or getting lean i will look at mental clarity sleep and digestion that's it firstly i will go okay are you meditating are you being mindful do is your sleep on point is your gut health on point first and foremost? Because dude, like you know this and, and, and fitness professionals know this, but getting in photo shoot shape is not necessarily about performance or it's not necessarily about how lean you get first. If your body is not optimal, your brain is not completely you know, focused in on, and dialed in on what you're about to do over the next few months, your gut health isn't good, your sleep isn't good, you're not going to succeed at all. That to me is, I suppose, my ethos in terms of where to start first. And uh, it was funny because when I, you know, when I started working with Ben, he was like, you know, what's your gut health like? Terrible. What's your sleep like? Terrible. We'll start there. And for me, obviously, I sleep, I've been sleeping four and a half hours a night for the last six years. And that's not good. I know that that's not good. My gut health isn't great. And well, it wasn't great. It's a lot better now. So I see the value in that more than anyone. Once they're on point, I feel like everything else can be, you know, can, can be downhill. Um, and obviously then we'll focus on nutrient timing, nutrient selection, depending on the client. And uh, obviously work towards, yeah, probably a higher carb approach, but around the workout, depending on the person's job, depending on, on their, their, you know, their clarity. I find that I work, I look so much better high carb but because you know the conflict between my work and what I was doing, I, I need to keep those carbs away from the majority of the day when I'm not training. So by default, I was intermittent fasting, carb backloading, and uh, and and nutrient timing became a massive thing for me. I love it. I, I, the reason I love that answer is because you didn't give us a black and white answer. You didn't say this is how you do it, and you started with the foundations right. because I think inside of individualized coaching, like if you took that same person and you skipped the sleep stress and gut health thing, you would have gotten them progress, but probably just before they got photo shoot lean, it would have came to a screeching halt and it would have been very hard to break through that because a deficit in nature and more training to get there is a stress too. So if you already have this groundwork of stress before you even start you're just compiling stress and it's just going to get worse and worse and harder to break through that plateau to get you as lean as you've ever been so i love the way you frame that man because i think not enough people focus on those things first yeah absolutely i think what so so if, if you look at everyone in in today's society what are people they're already stressed and we're coaches right we're not for me we're not in the fitness space, we're in the people space. 100%. And I think reading people and understanding people is the most important thing. So what are people most days? They're highly stressed. They're, they're anxious. They, um, you know, they're, they're probably, their nutrition's not great. Uh, they're probably, a lot of people, overtraining, under-recovering. So you don't want to increase their workload or decrease their food even more. You want to give them what they don't have, clarity, mental focus, a little bit of mindfulness, a little bit of presence in themselves you know, good sleep, uh, good digestion, the ability to assimilate food, the basics that nobody is doing. I get 99% of people don't even look at that. And, I, you know, I will turn around to a client and say, they'll say, what do I do in the first week? Okay, I want you to get out of bed first thing. And I want you to go for a walk for 10, 15 minutes. And I want you to sit down. It doesn't have to be cross-legged on a mat, but be mindful. Think about what you're going to achieve today. Think about how grateful you are to be in the situation you're in. Or think of a few things that, you know, you're, you, you seek value in that, that's in your life right now. And they're like, really, that's it? I'm like, we'll start there. And then obviously we'll build on that. Obviously I give them their nutrition program, but in the meantime, that gives me time to really work on their plans and really focus on, okay, how are we going to map this out? What's the journey going to look like? And I'm honest and transparent and I'll tell them, you know, this could take three months. 
this could take five months. Um, but you know, as long as we get the basics right, I feel like I will leave that client in a way better place than, than when they arrived. I love it, dude. And, and, and hopefully the cover of a magazine or a book or, or at least looking incredible for, for their website or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think dude, there's so many dimensions inside of what you and I do that I could go down a rabbit hole in each of these. So maybe we'll have to do this again on my podcast because I could probably keep going and going with you. Um, but I, I want to respect our time. I appreciate you coming on so much, man. This has been unbelievably beneficial to the listeners. So much value inside of all the information you're giving. And again, I love that it's it's more about individualization. There is no black and white answer. You gave a ton of value, but there was no pigeonhole that like you have to do blank. There's no dogmatic approach inside of you. And I love that. Um, but before you go, I have one final question for you. It's a personality question I do with all of my guests. And you're in a situation and the situation is that you're on a flight. Let's say you're flying to me since you're in London, you're flying over to me here in Seattle, Washington. You have a long flight ahead of you hours. You have two empty seats on each side of you. You can put anybody you want in those seats alive or dead, but they cannot be friends or family. You have one book to read and you have one album to listen to who's sitting next to you. What are you reading and what are you listening to on this flight? Oh, wow. Okay. So, uh, okay. It's an epic question. <laughs> <laughs> You've completely stopped me here. Okay, let me break this down. If I had a book and I was flying to Seattle from here, which I've done before, by the way, um, I would read uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And for those of you guys who don't know, it's an incredible book, probably one of the best books I've ever written, uh, written, I wish, uh, read. Um, and in my opinion, one of the best ever written. Um, I'm not going to bore you in the details, but it's basically about a, uh, this guy in a concentration camp who was able to see the difference between people who identified with the fact they were in a concentration camp and didn't let it phase them and worked on becoming the best version of themselves, regardless of whether they were going to die or not. And then the other people that, that gave in and threw the towel in on life. And I saw that a lot within my PhD with people who were diagnosed with cancer. And there were two types of people, people who played the victim. And if you always play the victim, you will always remain the victim. Or people who are like, you know what, I'm going to beat this. And, and one of the quotes from that book, it's a incredible book, says, between stimulus and a response, there is a space. And in wow. that space, is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. So that would be the book, incredible book. Oh, you've absolutely, so probably album wise, I would probably pick something classical, not for any other reason other than I do my best work listening to classical music. It just chills me out. Um, and I would probably get a huge amount of work done. The two people um, I'm going to be a lad and say, I don't know what female I have the biggest crush on, but I would probably pick a female who um, I have probably, maybe, I've, I don't even know who that's going to be, probably some, some, some female companionship on one side. And then on the other side, I would probably pick, honestly, this is going to sound so cheesy, and I really mean, it will probably pick Ben. I really would because I honestly could pick his brain for hours, hours on, and it would probably be nothing to do with training. It would be about his mindset, his, his approach to life. Um, and the one thing, you know, for those of you, it was nothing to do with Ben being the, probably the best person in the world at being able to help people like me put on muscle tissue that made me resonate with him. It was the person he's become since he's left bodybuilding, mm. how he's revolutionized the way he thinks, how mindful he is. Um, yeah, that's probably it. Someone to look at on one side and then someone like Ben to chat to on the other. I love it, dude. Uh, amazing answers, man. That'd be an intense flight. Before I let you go, I need you to drop all your social platforms, everything like that. Where can people find you? Website, Instagram, podcast, all that stuff. So people can dig into your content because you're a super intelligent guy. You're very humble and just very positive all around, man. I really appreciate you being here and the way you approach things. So I want everybody to be able to give you a follow and check out your content. Dude, thank you so much. So um, to make contact with me personally, the best place is to go to at Spearman Chris, which is my Instagram page and literally just give me a DM. 
Love or it. if obviously you're listening to the tag me, um, you know, I'll repost you on my page and drop you a message for sure. Uh, and the best place to uh, hear any more of you know my, my thoughts on training, nutrition, is to head over to the Shred with Science podcast, uh, which uh, of Cody have an episode um, that is going to be launched roughly around this time. Um, I'm sure the link will be in the show notes um, for any more info on my thoughts. Absolutely, man. And once again, thank you for coming on. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering. And because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomperformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.